Let's pray together. God, thanks for letting us be part of this fellowship, part of First Free Church. Thank you for the way you transform our lives and bring order to what can be a real chaotic world that we live in. I pray for what we just heard for our baptism services coming up. Please speak to people in our congregation and those who maybe haven't taken this step to take this step of obedience and follow after you, Lord. And I pray for our church, that we would be a church that would be reaching people and lives being transformed and that baptism as a sign of that would just be more and more frequent because we know that's what you've called us to. Pray for all of the, the programming, the things that we do here at First Free. We, we don't want to be just busy about things. We want to be about your business. We want to be about your kingdom priority and focus. So please help to keep that the, the focal point of everything that we do in our groups and our ministry programs here and all of the things that we do. Um, thank you for guiding and directing us. I pray that as we look into your word a little bit right now, that you would take away some of the worries and concerns and give us a focus by your Holy Spirit so that we could hear you and your voice would be the one that we hear most today because yours is the one that can help us to live our lives and to impact others for Jesus. Amen. My name is John. I'm privileged to be on staff here. One of the responsibilities I have in my role here at First Free is to oversee our outreach ministry. And I wanted to give you an update on something that happened just a week or so ago. I went with a team of leaders from the Evangelical Free Church to Kenya for a vision trip to see how First Free might partner with Lifeway Mission International, which is a, a, a mission in Kenya reaching unreached people groups in East, East Africa. I, I went with some people that are familiar. Here's a picture so you can see. You should recognize some of these people. Um, Worku Jeremu on the left is, is uh, the leader at the well and Rise Together Ministries in St. Louis, which has been a long-term partner of ours. Brad Wass, a member of our church here at First Free. Brad is also the multicultural director of the Evangelical Free Church Central District that we're a part of. And then Rick Burke. Rick is on staff with Reach Global. And you will remember Rick as being our missions pastor for a long time, up till four, four or five years ago. And Rick led this trip, and then Carrie in the blue shirt is a leader from Nebraska in the Evangelical Free Church there. We had an incredible time with Dr. Ali, uh, Isla Tassi, who is the founder of Lifeway Mission International. He's a key leader in the disciple-making movement, and for a week, we were, we were at the epicenter of what is arguably one of the biggest movements of God on the planet right now. I mean, in the disciple-making movement in East Africa is at a pace that they are, they are starting five new churches a day. Five new churches a day are being launched through this disciple-making movement. And what's amazing is they're doing it without a lot of the accoutrements that we think you have to have to do church. What they do is they start off with prayer and they really seek God to plant his salvation in people that are far from God, whether in another tribe, another people group, and they bathe that in prayer. And then from there, they move into compassion ministries where they might have a medical team come, provide food, some kind of relief efforts to help people to serve the real needs that people have in life. And as they're doing that, they find a person of peace, someone whose heart is soft in that target group, someone whose heart is soft, maybe not even soft to the gospel, but just to talk about spiritual things, to be able to build relationships. And they, they start those relationships. And then with that person and people around him or her, they 
pull together Discovery Bible Studies, and Discovery Bible Studies are, are simply times where people get together and they open God's Word, they talk about what the Scripture says and what the Holy Spirit is impressing upon their own lives. And then as those Discovery Bible Studies grow, there are other people that come, and then when the group gets to be about 40, 50 people, they, okay, we're a church now, we're a congregation, but instead of growing beyond that, it's in their DNA when they get to about 40, 50 people. It's like, why would we grow more? There are other people that need the gospel. So then they branch out and they send people to go reach other groups with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they do leadership training and they continue to pray. And that's, that's the simple but powerful method that God is using to expand his church in East Africa. We traveled, we went to Nairobi and we traveled eight hours north of Nairobi to a discipleship community among the Samburu tribe, which is a semi-nomadic tribe that's steeped in tradition. And we witnessed the power of the gospel transforming people in this tribe. Uh, we, we witnessed people becoming leaders. We taught, here's a, one of the pictures of one of the leadership groups where we were doing some training for them as they were reaching other people. Um, they gathered, some people walked for like five miles in the desert to get to these gatherings where we were so they could be with the people of God. They talked about taking the gospel to neighboring tribes, even some of the neighboring tribes that they're at war with and literally battle with, and there's hostility, and they were praying that maybe the gospel and the church planting that they're doing in unreached people groups would be a bridge to some of the warfare that goes on there. We spent two days visiting these congregations. And when I say congregations, some of them were just, they meet under a tree in a certain area and people would walk for, for many miles to just meet under a tree where they would do their discipleship Bible study. Some had small buildings that they met in, but they would all get together and they would worship, they would study God's word. And every Bible study that they had ends with two questions. And this alone is kind of, transforming and I think we could do well to get back to simplicity at the end of every study they ask two questions how will you obey what you've learned and who will you tell how will you obey and who will you tell and we did leadership training hey how will you obey and who will you tell how will you obey and who will you tell it's just part of their DNA that when we encounter the Holy Spirit and God's truth and his word we learn something that we need to follow in obedience and there are other people that we need to tell there are some pictures of some of the people that we encountered when we were when we were there some of the brothers and sisters in the Lord in the Samburu tribe that that we witnessed uh worked with um, this last picture by the way every time we went to one of these villages they love hospitality and their way of showing hospitality is to to kill and roast a goat for you and so we had in in one two-day setting we had three goats that were cooked for us and uh, these are some of the Samburu tribesmen um, cooking this goat to share with us as a way of welcoming us to their village and sharing the love of Christ it's an oral culture there so I wanted to share a little clip of what it's like to 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 build disciples in an oral culture where they don't have books and studies like we have. So we're trying to teach them how to share the gospel, how to grow in your faith, and then build the church and share the gospel with other people. So here's just a little short clip of what it's like to disciple people in an oral culture. 
So, and we went through, we had, we spent probably 30 minutes doing that with them to tell story. It's story and it's repeating truth that, that implants the power of God in them. So I, I want to invite you to pray with me and, and, and our leaders here as we really seek whether God's calling us and how we could partner. There's an invitation to partner with Lifeway and serve the Tsemburu tribe and other tribes in, in East Africa um, in, the, in the future years to build a partnership where we can help spread the gospel there and actually learn from them. But one of the most impactful lessons is how the witness for Christ is an outgrowth of our discipleship. It's an opportunity for us. They, they continually said, I'm a disciple and I'm a disciple maker. I'm a disciple and I'm a disciple maker. And these were people who had nothing of the things that we have to do church but we're disciples and we're disciple makers. And so it's important, and it does kind of fit today to talk about this because we're in this series, uh, Back to the Basics, in conjunction with the Rooted study, if you're going through Rooted. But if not, it's still good to be reminded of what some of those foundational principles of living the Christian life are. And today it's about telling others, how we tell others about our faith, how we tell others about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And I witnessed that in these people, but I, I also had an incident in my own life that came to my mind a few years ago I wanted to share with you. My wife and I were getting ready to sell our home, and I had for years been fighting with this crack in the foundation of our basement, and water had been coming in when it rained, and I had done my own repair. I had probably attempted four or five different repairs, and I was not going to give up, and I kept fixing it and fixing it. Water almost always wins, but I, I thought I had it done, and I, I thought I had it done so much that I actually re, redid the drywall and sealed it, painted it, and then after a rainstorm, the rain came in again. So I called a couple of companies to see if someone would come out and look at this, and the first company uh, sent a person out, and I was a little concerned at the very beginning when this guy walked into my house. We walked downstairs and I began to explain to him what had happened. This water's coming in this part of the basement. I had done all these attempts at repairing and I put the drywall back on, but I could take that off so he could see the crack. And he said, oh, you don't need to do that. And I said, why not? And he said, well, it doesn't really matter. The solution is the same regardless of what the problem is. Oh, okay, that's interesting. So, so then we, he sat down and he pulled his laptop out and he had a really nice PowerPoint presentation with all kinds of slides, with statistics. It had pictures, explained hydrostatic pressure and how it comes into your house. All of these things that, that I needed to know so he could, and it was really clear, he, it wasn't my problem, but he had this product that he needed to convince me I needed. And that's what his whole plan was. And at the end of his presentation, I remember because my answer just almost stunned him. He said, would you agree that this is the best solution for your problem? And I said, no. <laughs> Which apparently is not on his script because he didn't know what to do. What do you mean? No, it should be yes. And I said, no, I'm not convinced that this is the best solution. And he said, well, what's your solution? And I said, obviously, I don't know. I've been trying, and I don't know. I called you to come. I said, 
But what I've heard from you doesn't give me any confidence that you know the right solution either. And then the next company sent a representative out about a different approach. He didn't have a laptop at all. He just had a notepad and a tape measure and he came in and he looked. He did take the drywall off so he could see where the crack was and he went outside and looked around. He took measurements. He studied a lot of things, asked me a lot of questions about what I'd done and explained the different options and ways that someone could go about this and why I didn't need the more extensive work done. He said, and I'm going to go back to my office and I'll write up an estimate and I'll email it to you and you can take a look at it. And if you have any questions, let me know. And if and when you think you want to want to do the job, let me know. And I called him and gave him the job and never regretted it. Now, the reason I share that with you is because we're talking today about how we tell others about Jesus. And when the subject is brought up, that strategy of that first contractor comes to mind for many, doesn't it? We have a product. We have a product, and our objective is to sell that product regardless of whether that person, in fact, they... In fact, they probably don't think they need it, but our job and our objective is to sell a product that this person doesn't think they need. And that's why evangelism often gets a bad name. We use our own version of convincing and sometimes even manipulating presentation. It's aimed at making a sale, closing a deal. I would call this persuasion evangelism, where our goal is to persuade someone that they need something that they don't think they need. And often the personal specific situation that that person is dealing with is irrelevant because we've got a solution that fits it all. So we don't listen very well. People end up being projects sometimes. And, and sometimes we're, we're more concerned about getting people to convert, to convince them of this body of truth and this body of truth is something they need to embrace. And if they embrace this body of truth, then they convert to being a Christian. But it's dangerous to get converts. The Bible does not call us to get converts. The Bible calls us to make disciples. Because if we just help someone to convert to Christianity because it makes more sense than anything else, then the next thing that comes along that makes more sense to that, they'll convert out and convert to the next thing, right? Because we're not called to make converts. We're called to build, to make disciples, and that's really, really important for us. So what if, what if we do it differently? What if instead of wanting people to assent to a cognitive body of truth, we talk about faith and we live faith out like the Bible presents it? The Bible presents a story from start to finish, the story of God. The Bible talks about, N.T. Wright actually, uh, a theologian and pastor in Great Britain, calls it the five-act drama of God's story. Starting with creation, how God, out of nothing, created all things because of his love. It was an outflow of his character, which we've talked about even in this series, in the first message in this series. And then the second act is the fall, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And in that rebellion, this harmony, this peace between God and his creation was shattered. People, creation, it was shattered, and there was this break. And then the, the third act of this drama that God has is in the Old Testament, we would say of God working in the people of Israel. And, and the goal, it's important to remember that the goal of God in choosing and calling and working in the people of Israel was so that when other people in the world looked at Israel, they would recognize and glorify God. 
that, that even the Old Testament people of Israel was supposed to be a witness to God's love and to God's glory. And then the fourth act is the act, it's the life of Jesus when God sent his son, fully God, fully man, to be here among us, to live among us, to live for us, to die for us so that we could have a way to know God. It's, it's significant that the life of Jesus is presented in four stories in the Bible, not four compilations of his teaching, not four compilations of, of you know, archives of his sermons. No, it was his, his life. And in that, yes, there's his teaching, but it's in, it's in a story. And then the fifth and final act, which is our part of the drama, is the act that we're in now of the church, the Holy Spirit filling us so that we can carry out the mission of God to, to glorify himself, to bring all things to consummation. Leslie Newbegin, a British theologian and missionary, said, the church should not be identified by the work that we're called to do, but by the end to which we work. We ought to be characterized and motivated by this story that is taking us to God ultimately fulfilling and restoring all things and bringing all things into order under his own sovereign glory. Renewing that harmony. Look with me at, at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. God has now revealed to us his mysterious will regarding Christ, which is to fulfill his own good plan. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and purchased us to be his own. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Over and over again, God's plan is to use his people to bring glory to him. That's what the story is that we're supposed to tell. That's what we're supposed to share with people that are far from God. Not an argument why their thinking is wrong and they should think differently, but that there is this incredible message of God. Every person is part of this cosmic story in some way. Every person you meet, every person you see on the news, every person you come in contact with. As I look back, <clears throat> excuse me, what we saw in Kenya, <clears throat> it was all about story. It was about God doing things through the story of his Holy Spirit working in these people's lives. <clears throat> and this is what we do in our own lives, isn't it? The weather's gonna be nice, it's not gonna be long in my neighborhood. We're going to have neighborhood block parties. When we have neighborhood block parties, if someone has had a good experience at a restaurant earlier that week, they don't say, <clears throat> let me explain to all of you why this restaurant objectively is the best restaurant to eat at and go through a logical explanation. No, what do you do? You tell a story. Like, man, you would not believe the steak I had there. You tell stories. That's what we're supposed to be about. 
Several years ago, I received a postcard in the mail announcing a new church that was opening in our community. And this church, and, and I'm sure they love Jesus, so don't get me wrong at all. I'm sure they love Jesus, and it's probably a wonderful Bible-believing church. They spent a lot of money for a graphic designer to put, up, put together this amazing postcard. And it told all about this new church and why we should go there. And in big letters, you matter to God and you matter to us. And I turned it over and it was addressed to resident. <laughs> resident, 1028 Couch Avenue. And I said to, to my wife, nothing says you matter to God more than resident. But, you know, don't we do that sometimes? I know I'm guilty of it. We're guilty of it as a church. If we could get the message of Jesus to people without having to go through that relationship stuff, because, I mean, face it, all my lost friends are just waiting to get a postcard to go to church. No. They're waiting to get to know me, to get to know you. They're waiting for us to do life with them. That's what they're waiting for. Telling others about our faith is about a message of wholeness and harmony with God's kingdom. It's not persuading people to buy a product they don't think they want. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 19 to 23. For all creation is eagerly waiting for that future day when God will reveal his, who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join with God's children in glorious freedom from decay, death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he's promised us. Rather than persuasion evangelism, I think what this passage points to and what the New Testament points to is that we have a shared experience of brokenness. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, this is not how it's supposed to be. The suffering, the problems, the brokenness, the sadness, the illness, the sickness, the conflict. It's not how it's supposed to be. And I, as a Christ follower, share that in common with the most lost, un unsaved person that I know. And that's the point of contact. That's the shared interest that we have, that we're all groaning, that it's, this ought to be better than what it is right now. As followers of Christ, we know how it will be better. And our, people, our friends that are far from God need to hear that, and they need to know that. So rather than persuasion evangelism, what it looks like in the early church was the early church just lived such a life, a community that was distinct and focused on God, and God was doing some things that even just in their normal everyday activity of being the church, the people around them were saying, wow, I want to be part of that. What's going on there? Help me understand how you can be at peace when all this is going on. Help me understand how you're a part of a community where you actually like pool your resources and care for each other. Help me know that kind of love. And that's when the verbal witness takes place. Look at Acts chapter 2. 
A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the people met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And the Lord added to their number each day those who were being saved. It's because they, they were living different. And I think that's kind of a challenge for us as a church because I think in our Western evangelicalism, our churches don't look a lot different than the world sometimes. Sometimes we don't, we don't look that different. And I don't mean we need to be self-righteous and judgmental. I mean, we need to be such a place of the love of God just flowing over and over again that the people around us are like, wow, those people at First Free have something I think I need. Help me to, help me to have that. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt what they owned was not theirs, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. And then Romans 15, 18, the apostle Paul writes, Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God, and here are two ways he says this happens. By my message, the things I say, what I communicate, and by the way I worked among them. Sharing our story is in word and deed. It's in what we say and what we communicate and in how we live and how we serve. I think that's really, really important. Paul interacted, he served, he cared for, he lived out his life in relationships. And sadly, I think in the church, we've, we've bifurcated that, we've separated that. You live the Christian life, and it's really cool that there are those people that have the gift of evangelism that can do that, right? They're really, really good that they've got that gift of evangelism. When in fact, it ought to be, we're all living our normal Christian life. And if I'm living my normal Christian life, I'm building relationships with people that are far from God, authentic, genuine relationships. And in that, there are going to be natural opportunities for them to ask and for me to share the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. That's the context. So with this in mind, we need to ask the question of today, why? What's the motivation if it's not to convince people that they need something they don't want, if it's not to keep them from going to hell, if it's not to, to you know, get more people in church, you know, and, and those at some level may not be bad things, but what is that highest reason and motivation for sharing my faith with other people? Like any great story, it's got to be love. It's got to be motivated by love, by our love for God and our love for people. Our love for God, for what he's done for us, for the hope that we have in him, and our love for the people across the street, the people we go to school with, the people that we work with, the people in Kenya, the people in Haiti, the people, it's, it's, it's God's love. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law 
and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. I find this very freeing. I find it very freeing when you're thinking about telling your story because being a, being a biblical witness is not about how many notches you have on your gun or how you can, how you can strategize to convince this person to, to somehow make a decision for Jesus. I mean, think about that. Make a decision for Jesus. What is that anyway? I mean, if there is any part of the journey to salvation that is making a decision, if there is any, it's, it's kind of like the decision a drowning man makes to grab the life preserver, right? I mean, can we say that? It's, there's not much credit I get for that, you know? I'm, we're drowning and we need help. And we take hold of that life preserver and there's nothing meritorious in it. So it's not about me helping, getting someone to make a decision. It's about me loving and hoping that they have a missionary encounter with this love that I've been invaded with in my heart. That's what it's about. So verbal expression is vital to the good news, to share the good news of the mission of God. But the New Testament just doesn't give a lot of time to evangelism strategies. The, the New Testament doesn't give a lot of time to, here's how you share, here are those four spiritual laws, or here's that Romans road, and, and here's the presentation you package it in. It, it doesn't present it like that. It presents it as live this Christian life, be in the community, and as you do that intentionally, be ready because the people that you're involved in, the people you're interacting with are gonna be drawn by the Holy Spirit as you pray for them to come close. And when that happens, you can open your mouth and you can share, and the Holy Spirit's doing that work of drawing people to himself. That's what telling the story is. It takes all the pressure off us, and it gives God all the glory. That's what we saw in in Kenya last week. These were not seminary trained pastors with a lot of degrees. These were ordinary people that had been touched by the gospel and were disciples and wanted to build other disciples. And they took it upon themselves to, to, to lead and to study so that they could grow and they could share the gospel with other people. And some of them, one, one of the places we were at, they even said, yeah, the, the tribe that's on the other side of that mountain we need to take the gospel to. Between here and there are all of the lions and the elephants and the stuff that you think about when you think of Kenya. And we have to go through all of that to get to them. And by the way, they probably would like to kill us when we get there. But they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And I think sometimes I'm put out when I go across the street here. We need to tell our stories. So lest you misunderstand I'm not saying we should not be intentional. I'm just saying we need to be intentional, not about directly being the verbal witness. We need to be intentional about being the people of God and building relationships with people that are far from God so that the opportunities will be there and the Holy Spirit will create them to share our verbal witness. Are you following me? It's where that intentionality comes that is freeing for us. So I'm going to give you a little exercise here as we wrap up. Try this exercise um, in your life. And, and if you're in the rooted study right now, one of the things that you're gonna be challenged to do this week is to tell someone your story. And this will, will tie into that. So just a simple exercise. Think about some people who are far from God in these spheres of your life, in your family, who are people you live with or you're related to who are far from God. Coworkers, classmates, neighbors, your lifestyle, think of your lifestyle, your hairdresser, that serve, favorite server when you go out to eat, the person who checks you out at the grocery store, where you go to the gym, the coffee shop, that's kind of lifestyle stuff. Who are those people? 
or your hobbies, the things that you enjoy doing. And just think about, if you just think about five or 10 people from that, from that grouping, that's kind of your mission field. Those are the people that God has first called you to love, to care for, and to share the gospel with. So just take one or two to start with and do these things. Pray. Pray for that person. Pray regularly for their needs. Pray for their family. Pray for their relationships. Pray that God would open the door for you to be able to have a good interaction with them about their spiritual life. Pray that God's Holy Spirit would draw that person to God in salvation. Listen, we're not really good at that in the church, at listening. Maybe even listen to why they hate the church. Listen to why they don't want to be a Christian. Listen, listen, listen to their story. Value their story. Spend time with them. Go out for dinner. Spend time when the weather gets nice doing yard work. Whatever you do, spend time with them. Serve them. Find out something you can do to help them. And then share. If you do, if you're praying for them, listening, spending time and serving, I guarantee you're going to have an opportunity to share. It's just how life works, isn't it? When you're, when you're doing stuff, you share. And then share the hope that you have in Jesus. Friends, this is how we change the world. It's not, it's not some huge, huge thing. Some people call this craft evangelism instead of mass evangelism. You know, we're just doing it in a craft way. We've got a small group that, that God wants us to influence for Jesus Christ. This is how we change the world. This is how five, five churches a day are being planted in East Africa. It's important that we prioritize our normal connections it's important that we do this regularly. As a church, we want to help. We see our programs and some of the partnerships and outreach partners that we have here at First Free as ways to help you to do what God has called you to do across the street. Next week, we're going to have, you heard about it in the announcements, a community impact fair. The activity, is, activity center is going to be full of organizations and ministry partners that we work with here at First Free. And you can go over there next week and you can talk to um, ESL. You can talk to the Cup of Nations people. You can talk to Oasis International. You can talk to Thrive. You can talk to all kinds of ministry partners that we have. And you can go and you can say, I want to serve somewhere. And they would love to have you as an individual, as a couple, a family, or a group serve with them. And in doing that, you will come in contact with people that are far from God. And you can practice exactly what we're talking about here. So I encourage you to do that next week. It's going to be a really, really great opportunity. The last thing I want to do, because I know some of you are, are students and you like to read and, and study up on things. So I'm going to share three resources with you that I think would help you to continue this, this um, topic in your mind. The first is called a symphony of mission, playing your part in God's work and the world by Michael Goheen. This book is phenomenal, very practical, very biblical about how we can be involved in God's global work right here in our communities, a symphony of mission. The next book I recommend for you is called Gospel Witness, Evangelism in Word and Deed. And this is by David Gustafson. He's a professor at Trinity Evangelical Seminary, which is our Evangelical Free Church Seminary in Chicago. Wonderful book, very practical, very strong 
And then the, the third book is called The Gospel in a Pluralistic Society by Leslie Newbegin. And he's a missiologist and pastor from England. He died several years ago. But he, he writes in this book how, how we can be a presence of the gospel in a culture that seems to have no anchors. It just seems to be everybody can, can be whoever they want. And how the gospel message in the public arena is so, so important. So those are three three uh, resources that I want to share with you. But the last thing I want to share, and then I'm going to pray, are the two questions when I was in Kenya that every study or every sermon ended with. And it was, how are you going to obey and who are you going to share this with? What did you hear today from God's word? What did you hear that you need to obey, that you need to do? And then the second question, who are you going to share it with? Who are you going to share it with? Father, forgive us for sometimes using persuasion evangelism where we maybe even try to manipulate people to buy a product that they don't think they need. We're convinced this is the product, no question there. But we need to, we need to value people and love them. So I pray that each one of us and our church would be known for building relationships and caring and loving people far from God and then taking advantage of those opportunities to be a verbal witness and to share the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And I pray as a result that your kingdom would grow, that there would be people even on our list that we thought of a few minutes ago who right now are far from God and in not too distant future, they're gonna be children of God through faith. And we wanna give you all the glory and praise in your name.